This is First, Last, Best, Worst. The only podcast recorded on a Tascam 4-track cassette tape. We explore the craft of songwriting with our guests as they perform the first, last, best, and worst songs they've ever written. I'm your host, Carl Banks. I'm Taylor Rogers. And I'm Paul Blackwell. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, Taylor? How you doing, man? Hey, how's it going, Carl? I am doing wonderful. I got this... Um, I got a story I want to tell you. All right, tell it. All right, so like I played this show this weekend. It was a classic tale of um, guitar player sabotage. So I was playing the show, right? And my friends, I'm just, I'm doing two songs with my friend and she plays with pickup bands. So she has like a normal guitar player and then, but it's like an EP release. So I'm going to play on a couple songs, right? So we get there and it's a pickup band. So they're kind of rehearsing during sound check, which is okay you know but it was just a very chaotic 30 minute sound check and so whenever it's my turn to just do a quick uh line check i went up to the other guitar player and i was like hey can i borrow would it, would it be easier if i just use your guitar you know you just that way we just leave it plugged in or whatever and he gave me a look of what i could only describe as um like pure disgust he <laughs> just like looked i don't know like like i asked him like the worst question ever i was like oh my god never mind you know so i'll i'll just use my guitar so i grab it out you know i like i love my guitar it's just ease of access is why i was asking and anyway. yeah i get that so i go up and um and there's a his cable is plugged into the di so i plug in it's and i forgot my own cable i should say that we do a quick line check and everything's ready set to go show starts now when i get up there to to go play the show he comes off stage and takes his cable with him now i didn't know that he had taken the cable so now i walk up it's like a packed house like totally sold out house so i walk up and there's like a double bass laying over and a keyboard and a piano and i'm like wandering around and everyone's looking at me and i'm like there's no fucking cable so then i walk i have to walk in front of the performer (laughs) go over i'm looking around the the piano there's nothing around there so then i walk back and i'm looking all around and everyone's like it's you know like on stage when there's nothing happening it's like a fucking eternity and i'm like i feel my face getting hot and like sweat beating up and then i'm like shit so then i look back at like the sound guy in the back of the room he's no help he doesn't understand what's what's going on so i was like well i'll just take the cable out of the keyboard that's you know like what i have to do so then of course it's hot so it like i pull the cable out and it's just like and then i'm like god damn it i plug in my guitar luckily he had muted it by then but then there's no reverb or anything my guitar doesn't sound that good just di'd without anything i mean it was all right but i look back and the the guitar other guitar players just sitting over at the side of the stage smiling with it with the fucking cable and my point is was he mocking you i don't know but my point is that whatever you do during sound check that is the way the show has to go because that is the plan and whenever you take the fucking cable it's just like i look like a fucking moron for 30 seconds a minute just wandering around the stage and anyway it was just like the classic other play other guitar players sabotaging me yeah listening to you say that story it makes me feel like i'm, I'm having one of those dreams where i'm like naked in <laughs> class you know it's like one of those just like really <laughs> that's what it felt like because i'm just wandering around on stage just going like looking around for for anybody to make eye contact with me and understand my plight and nobody gets it you know they're all just like okay play 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 and uh, I've never I've never understood people who are super uh picky about other musicians using their gear. Right. I was like you like do you think I'm going to smash it? I know and it's like it would be just so much easier. It's already plugged in. I mean a harmonica, I wouldn't let anybody use my harmonica. That's like using a yeah. toothbrush or something. Yeah. But anyway, this is not a podcast about 
other people sabotaging your fucking cable it's scenario. all their fault <laughs> it is we got all the cables we need at this place and they're fucking going they're going everywhere <laughs> we got cables just going just fucking everywhere so many cables plugged here. into our heads plugged into the keyboard and we have a guest in the studio today mr paul lauren how are you i'm doing very well how are you i'm doing wonderful thanks for coming out to bushwick and playing our game here the first last best worst game I'm happy to be here. I got some extra cables in the in the vehicle <laughs> if you need them. Backups. See, I, this guy's prepared. This is why. <laughs> no, a pro. Yeah. Like Carl's over here wearing like a fucking hoodie. It's got a stain on it. Yeah. Paul's over here in like a suit and like now you know who has all the cables. <laughs> Who's got the cables? Who doesn't have the cables is very evident. Just it, by looking at you. In too. fairness, I was wearing a suit at the gig the other night. So oh. um, mm, plot twist. <laughs> okay. I just goes to show you, you know, you don't jump to conclusions. I feel like a fool now. Right. Um, but anyways, <laughs> as the old saying goes, look how the cables have turned. Mm, oh. Very true. Look at that. That classic aphorism we all know and love. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, do you want to play your first song? I, I would love to. Thanks. Okay. I love the birds and bees, the flowers and trees, but most of all, I love you. I love my teachers, friends, and cousins, but most of all, I love you. I love you. Yes, it's true. I love you. I love you. So what would you say that song is about? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, let's let's dig deep in it. Really. <laughs> uh, can you date the song? Yeah. Like, where, where are you well, I can. It's, uh, I'm dating someone already, actually. No, <laughs> I I, uh, I think I wrote it, uh, let's say, 1989, really. 1989, I was five years old. So now you know what year I was born. Thank you. <laughs> 89, first thing I ever wrote. It's I don't know why it's stuck with me in such a way. The sentiment is so pure and it's just so funny and whimsical mm -hmm. and it sounds like a kindergartner would write it, right? Yeah. So Do you think you, you always kind of knew you wanted to be a songwriter? I mean, starting at such a young age? Yeah. And the funny thing is, well, I think when I when I put that down and I, I remember what the piece of paper looked like and the way I drew it out. And I had like a picture of the sun on there and magic marker and like little <laughs> trees and like birds and bees. And just, Did you have cousins on I there? Too? I had a couple of my cousins. <laughs> I did. I, saw, I had a couple distant cousins in there. And um, we'll, we'll get into the cousins thing. We'll get into the FDR Eleanor Roosevelt thing in a second because that's important to the song. But uh, I think I knew when I, when I set that magic marker, well, those colorful magic markers to paper that... Wow, this was this felt really good. Catharsis is the word I used at five. That was, really <laughs> <laughs> that was a well-read five-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, so that was kind of a that was sort of an aha moment. That it seems like since you have a, a like a good like sense memory of where you were, like that was kind of a yeah. That, that was a, the the point where you were like, oh yeah, man, that's cool. You remember those little Casio um, keyboards from the '80s that you could have the drum beats? I'm sure they still mm -hmm. have a version of that. We put a little drum beat on, bossa nova, set the tempo, <laughs> bleep, 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 bleep. and uh, you know, you just left hand, just super simple chords, Peace. things give you a whole sound. Yeah, and that's what that came out of. I was in my grandma's basement. Sense memory was 
mothballs and this kind of moldy, um, uh, just old furniture thing. Classic you know? grandma smells. Ah, <laughs> classic smell. It's one of the smells I long for and try and replicate in my apartment now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's crazy whenever somebody walks by with a perfume that my grandma used to wear, I'm always like, whoa. It like brings me back there like immediately. Did you, were you trained on piano? Or, like, or was the Casio just something you were just playing with and, and yeah. exploring yourself? That was the training, I think. Still, I'm just trying to just do one mm. note in the left hand. And <laughs> yeah. Where's yeah. the rest of the bossa nova accompaniment? <laughs> it's not there. Uh, no, I, I was self-taught uh, on piano and just... I think kind of the way a lot of us musicians was like learning your favorite songs, trying to figure out, you know, uh, what does it sound like matching the Beatles song on piano to what you're listening to. And then eventually as you go deeper, you, you, you dig in, you're like, oh, I can chords and, and bass lines right. and everything. Beatles so, songs have a lot of weird chords in them too. They do. You always like start out confident. You're like, oh, I got this, I got this. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. I don't know what A sus two five <laughs> what? I, <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's I mean that's that's one of the things that I appreciate most in songwriting uh, like that is how they manage to make uh, actually fairly sophisticated, complicated things sound extremely elementary, mm -hmm. um, but you don't actually know that they're complicated until right. you actually. And why, that's why kids are so drawn to the Beatles, I, in my opinion, uh, because they're, the melodies are so simple and they're so sing-songy. But like I said, you try to learn them and it's a, it's a different ballgame. Yeah. What, uh, where were you at when you wrote this song? Well, it was, where, I think it was in up? my grandma's basement. And I grew up uh, on Long Island. I okay. say on Long Island, oh. funny <laughs> enough. I know it's not in Long Island, but I grew up on Long Island, not far from here. Maybe, let's say in car with no traffic, maybe 29 minutes. Okay. Let's put it under a half hour. <laughs> Mid-Nassau County. All right. And, uh, and yeah, my, my father was an immigrant. He came to the States from Italy when he was 10 years old, from Brooklyn. My mother, a few generations in, grew up in the same town that I grew up in. And uh, so my grandma's basement was a stone's throw from, uh, from my house, really in a way, and uh, I spent a lot of time down there. We had this little reed organ, and um, and of course my little Casio that I just said, but the reed organ was on like a bar cart, a mid-century bar cart, mm -hmm. because there was like no keyboard stand for it. It was just like this gold bar cart, <laughs> and uh, the reed organ had like four push-button bass and chords on the left side, and then it had like a, a limited keyboard on the right of maybe like 20 notes, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was like a Beatles book up there for like Beatles for Reed Organ, and it gave you, you know, like love me do, please please me. But then like it left out those chords that you're talking about. Like there's what there's no A sus four, and later <laughs> as you go on, you're like that Reed Organ book was oh, horrible, <laughs> fundamental. You're like where's the C minus seven with the God damn, oh, you know it just didn't exist on the Reed Organ. The, so the Reed Organ is that one of those deals where it's got those like plastic tabs that you flip up and down yes i love those it is an electric accordion in a way so the air, you so it's, you, when you turn it on plug it in the electricity is moving air around it and so you're not doing any physical pumping um but it is basically the same idea well, that's, okay and it's interesting that you're saying that too because also one note on the left hand and then right you know everything else on the right so you exactly. just like that that's been a common uh common theme yes so uh so after that, I, you know, I was, uh, did you play music in high school? And I did. Yeah. Regrettably. No. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I kept going with the music. And funny thing about Beatles was uh, the, the, the real aha moment for me as just like a performer, as a singer was 
being uh, cast to sing a solo. Uh, we did like a Beatles review in third grade or fourth grade and chorus, spring concert. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're doing a whole medley of the Beatles, Octopus's Garden and Sgt. Pepper stuff. And I remember I got a solo in When I'm 64. And I was with three other guys, and we were supposed to be like the Beatles between us, right? <laughs> and they gave us wigs, and we had these little, you know, circular frame glasses and stuff, and they dressed us all up as Beatles. And I got like, I got a round of applause after my solo. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, that's what happens? Like, I kind of knew that before. I mean, uh -huh. you're, you're eight years old, nine years old. Like, you know the inputs and outputs. You've, you've watched the American Music Awards, and you've watched Michael Jackson just kill it and get the applause. But like, when it happens to you, there's a transcendent thing. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. Yeah. And yeah. like girls were talking to me <laughs> and like, we really love what you did. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I was like, okay, I'm in, you know? Yeah. That's so funny. I, I love going to open mics for that reason when you see somebody get that applause for the first time because I don't usually like half of the open, you know, it, it's some rough times yeah. sitting through open mics. But when you see somebody get that applause for the first time, it's like, man, your life has changed, you know? It's your like, life is ruined. <laughs> it's ruined. You got a little taste. It, it's so good, though. Yeah. It's so much fun. Ruined is a, is a harsh <laughs> adjective for you. <laughs> for someone who only uses, you know, very bland uh, descriptive words, ruined is a... It's, yeah. You, yeah I, don't know I mean it. Music is bad. <laughs> and that's why no we're here, should, ladies No one and should do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I've been trying to say this whole podcast. This whole, podcast. Yeah. The whole time. Does, he, he thought he was signing up for an intervention podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'll qualify a little bit. I, maybe I regressed as I got older with into music, right? It's like you think you, there's a progression, but at heart, and maybe that's what's cool about the way you've set this show up, is that you, you want to play the very first song you wrote. You're like, oh, well, that's like... You're reminded of it. And it's so pure and simple. Mm -hmm. And why throughout all the years did I do, have we added on all the nonsense to songwriting? Those high school years, those right. And like, mm -hmm. why am I trying to write this or this or this or get all prog? But like, if a song like as horrible as that song is as a song, mm -hmm. it like it's a simple statement. And like right. to me, that's what I'm just trying to get back to. Like yeah, I'm trying to regress. Yeah. Well, you know? I don't think we could set it up any better. Can you set up this the latest song? Sure. What what song is it? Well, Can you I, tell I, us a I bit think about the it? the latest song that I put out as a single, uh, and that the latest song I really fully produced in the studio is called "I Know a Place." Okay. Um, and uh, it's a simple folk song. So I am trying to get back to that simple statement kind of thing. Um, and I wanted to produce it like a kind of a folk song. But uh, I had this moment where I heard, uh, I heard a change is going to come. And I heard um, some, of the, some of the stuff in the 60s, uh, simple folk songs like that had this lush orchestral arrangement and, and brass and strings and stuff. And I was like, ah, I kind of want to do that. <laughs> Forget the Zillow folk song and let's bring some horns in and some strings and add a little timpani here and there and like make a full production. Mm -hmm. That's where it ended up as a, as a production. But when you strip it down, I think, and I'll play it now, um, hopefully it'll stand on its own, which is voice and piano. I know a place Somewhere we can go A place where our hearts are free And so far away from trouble and woe A place meant for you and me 
Let's make it a place that others can find Where no one can tell them they're wrong Long as we lay our worries behind It's a place where we all belong Though it sounds like a dream An impossible scheme But I know in my heart that it's true Oh, with time on our side With arms open wide, we'll get there No matter what we do Oh, there must be a place Where a voice can be heard Where everything sounds like a song Where harmony speaks much louder than words A place where we all belong It may sound like a dream An impossible scheme But I know in my heart that it's true And oh, with time on our side with arms open wide we'll get there no matter what we do whoa, whoa, I know there's a place a room with a view of long summer days in the sun when nobody says there's freedom for few Cause it's a place meant for everyone A place where we all belong That was fantastic. Yeah, that was great, man. Thank you so much. It's, Thank you, guys. And certainly stands on its own as a um, as a voice and piano song. Yeah, it's interesting um, the, that you were talking about ch- kind of getting back to like a very simple thing and what we were talking about uh, with the Beatles and you know how their their songs were deceptively complex. Just because you know, like you were saying, you were trying to get back to something a little bit simpler. And while that was you know in many ways a simple tune, there also is clearly a lot more going on you know from like a you know a chordal you know harmonic yeah uh way than like it, it is a, like a deceptively you know yeah thanks um i guess he, i guess in a way like you guys know this through music like you can't undo all the learning and yeah. uh but you don't want to you don't want to come off as um you know, I'm just going to throw that chord in there because I can kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want all maybe the learning in a way to serve the the sentiment, serve the song. Absolutely. And uh, I, I do enjoy things like moving bass lines and kind of separate harmonic structures that work uh, and separate kind of counter melodies. I love those things mm-hmm. And uh, as a listener. Yeah, I, I mean, so. I, f- I feel like they were integrated, you know, really well in a way that did serve the... Uh, 
you know, the feeling of simplicity. Cool. Thank in you. The, yeah. And in, in just the melody and the, the lyrics. So appreciate that. I feel like that was, you know, kind of tied back into what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, when, did, when did you write that one? Uh, I actually, so I wrote that. Well, let, let's say this. Uh, I guess it's a bit of a lie because it's not the last song I wrote, but it's the last song I fully produced and mm-hmm. kind of yeah. gave a go at. But I, I wrote it uh, a few years ago um, pretty quickly. Um, in response in a way to what was happening with the gay marriage rights, certainly New York City, but countrywide. So let's put it around 2014. So it's been mm-hmm. almost four years. Uh, and it it, it, it kind of has that, I mean, it has a very like Sam Cooke vibe. And, you know, he wrote a lot of like civil rights yeah. anthems and songs. So uh, with that kind of lyrical sensibility. So I definitely kind of see that sort of, that through line, you know. Great, thanks. Plus, it, it's it demonstrates what a lot of songwriters do, where you start out your first song is about love because yeah. that's the easiest thing to write about, and that's like when you're young, that's the most powerful emotion you get. As you age and you become an adult, and you start realizing the complexities of the world, you a lot of people tend to start writing about different things than simply romantic love because right. that, that's what's on your mind and that's what moves you. Totally. Yeah, it is it is it is a love song still in a way. Yeah. I'm realizing that, but it's like a love song for kind of all of us, you mm-hmm. know. Uh just like, man, why can't we all just be cool with each other, right? It's it's <laughs> yeah. that it's that hopeful, naive optimism thing. But I think that's love at the end of the day. Yeah. So there is a there is a through line from the first song to this, but romance for our cousins has fallen off of <laughs> that doesn't exist you can't, yeah you can't yeah. just keep writing songs about cousins <laughs> no you know after the first that's album you gotta that's start. why you left north carolina <laughs> yeah <laughs> i ran out i ran out of cousins to write about it doesn't play well well you know sicily and north carolina have that in common yeah, yeah. A lot of, so you get it yeah the gene pool is a bit muddy yeah. <laughs> can we uh talk quickly about your voice i mean it's uh, probably the keynote of the whole thing, uh, your performance here. Um, were you self-taught in voice too? Did you? I was. I took some lessons about uh, you know early on. Let's say I was seventeen or eighteen, and how to preserve your voice because by that time I was singing in bars and like you know no monitors and just. I know the feeling. You know the feeling, right? Yeah. We all they know probably that still smoke in the bars at that. They point. did. Yeah, right. that was right at the cusp. So this was like two thousand one, two thousand two, of like you're still singing in smoky bars. Back when mm. we were still free, goddamn it. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, and now that freedom has been taken away. <sighs> so yeah, so I, I did take a few lessons on voice preservation, but as far as technique, I think uh, again it comes down to like listening and mimicking at first, mm-hmm. and then developing on any instrument, and voice being one of them, and then kind of making that thing work for your own body you know and the weird thing about it is like now i I sing so much i sing kind of every day um professionally or just doing like today like a writing session or something like that you're always singing so it's like i have to have some kind of homeostasis in the body that's like the most important thing forget the sound and the tonality it's like i have to like not be uh you know, suffering from allergies and getting a full night's sleep and I have to limit the amount of alcohol and, and drugs I take, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so all that, like, just to, like, be able to hit a, an A-flat uh, at 1 p.m. on a Monday, you know, so... Yeah. But, how do you how do you do that though? Limit the drug uh, use. I mean, uh, <laughs> got any techniques for that? <laughs> just um, just kidding. Just kidding, mom. No comment, mom. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a weird, 
I'm at a weird place where it's like kind of full adulting in a way, and mm-hmm. it's like you have to. I have to watch myself because, like, that 24 year old, 25 year old, I can recoup the next mm-hmm. day. Back. It doesn't happen anymore now. Do you yeah, lose your you voice know. ever? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, it bounces back fairly quickly, mm-hmm. like, just because I think of all the years of flexing the muscle. Mm-hmm. It, it's pretty pliable now, it, it, it can come back. But um, if I do three or four full gigs in a row, I need a day off, yep. you know? And, I, and that's like the day of, like, I'm not talking. Let's consider it like my voice is lost that day, mm-hmm. and uh, as long as I have that that day, I'll be fine the next day. Oh, that's good because so, you have yeah. a huge range, and as soon as I, if I'm doing gigs and a lot of gigs in a row, that range limits. You know, I can't hit the high notes that, and then right. that's the scary part is where you can't do the thing you could do a couple of days before. Right, it makes you feel really weak. Do you know what it is like? And you guys probably probably get this a lot. It's like you play a gig, you're in this crowded room. Before the gig, you're there talking to people. After the gig, you're there talking to people. There's loud music that you're talking over. Mm-hmm. And like that's that's the most destructive thing. It's not really right. singing. Singing is like, if you're doing it right, it's good Dying. for you, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're not overusing it and not over singing, but uh, it's the talking at loud over loud volume. Right. And you're all, you're yeah. using just your throat. You're not projecting. Right. And I, yeah. And then you cannot explain to people that I don't want to talk. <laughs> right. Like I even sometimes carry a card that's like, I can't talk. And they're still just, it gets so awkward if you're just sitting there not talking. Yeah. And they're, they're like, that douchebag. What is right. he? Yeah, who's, I who's know. He's just <laughs> hanging out there. What rights does he have? But yeah, because your adrenaline's up anyway in those, in those nights, you come off stage mm-hmm. and you're talking, your you're adrenaline's buzzing. up. Yeah. And yeah. you just have no, there's no way to mindfully kind of check yourself. Right. And he ends up just going with it. And the next day you wake up, you're like, ah, yeah, there, this is real, you know? Right. I was liking it to an ankle injury too, where like in, when you're running, the ankle doesn't swell up. It's the next day that you realize it. Same with voice. You know, it's like following day that I'll lose it. And then it's like, fuck. Totally. Yeah. And I think that uh, a lot of people don't uh, think about is that being a musician, especially a touring musician is like, on some, some level you are an athlete just because you are putting up with so many physical deprivations, mm-hmm. uh, when you're on the road, uh, you know, a lot of times sleeping in like places that aren't great, having to stay up late, having to like drive long distances. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, even though you don't have to like drink and party, like mm-hmm. you kind of do, you know, <laughs> like right. that's kind of part of the package. It is. Like you are throwing the party for everyone. You were like the host you're the of host. the party. Yeah. And if you're performing right, it should be a physical feat, you know? Yeah. Like you should be putting yeah, it you're into sweating. it. So, you Definitely. know, yeah, it is, it does like, it does take its toll on your body, especially as you get older. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think all those things add, not only are you the host for the festivities, so to speak, and I'm certainly the front man. So even more so, um, and the after parties after every gig, it's always about, you know, it's like want to make people feel welcome and want to make them yeah, you gotta mingle enjoy themselves, and, mingle, do the yeah. thing, do the politic thing, which I love. Um, yeah. Plus you feel um, good when everyone's like, like, Oh, right. <laughs> it makes it, it goes back to that. Yeah. I'm wearing the wig in, in third yeah. grade again. And I'm saying yeah. when I'm 64, totally. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's funny. Cause over the years, it's not the reason why you do it anymore. The yeah. reason is selfish in the way that you're you're just looking for the next thing that makes you feel really good. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the next song that you write or you're like using your voice in a different way or you're getting to a place in a gig where you've never gone. At this point, it's like those are the reasons. Yeah. But, um, but I think part of a full life and an interesting life is, is mingling and is that's all the stuff that you're going to write about and you're going to 
get through losing your voice and the challenges and the, the harshness of life on the road. Like that's what makes life interesting. And that's what makes the songs better. And that's what makes the music worth doing in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if, if it was just clinical, like I have this rule, it's in my rider. I can't speak for three hours before the show. And, <laughs> and afterwards it's the same. I must go straight from like, who, what? Like, like that yeah. doesn't exist. Like, no. The, so. gig, the gigs I'm playing, we don't get writers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you exactly. get, th you know, six bucks in the back alley. Right. <laughs> wow. You're, you're we might be doing different gigs. I don't know. <laughs> wow, that's funny. I, I started out with those gigs, too. I'm still doing them, actually. Like, right. I, I get four bucks in the back alley. <laughs> well, can we move on to, uh, to the best song? Uh, can you set this one up for us? This is a tough. Uh, this is a tough call. I was thinking about this. The best song, uh, really tough for me. I think it's probably tough for a lot of people because you don't want to judge your own work and qualify it uh, in in those terms at all. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just think um, for me, best means the one that came easiest and uh, has a lot of cool uh, musical and and vocal bits in it that are that make it still fun uh, after a few years of singing it. And it's a song called uh, All by Myself. It's a bit schizophrenic in the A section, so different from the B section. Uh, and I will do kind of an abridged version of it today, but just to give you an idea, uh, here it goes. All by myself, I'll be all right, waiting for you to come tonight. But if you never ring my bell, I'll be alright All by myself, all by myself I'm doing fine, waiting for you's like doing time But if your love can't make me well, I'll be just fine All by myself on the table and the candles have been lit summer breeze blows through my window well, there ain't no sign of you yet if we can make it this evening baby and I guess I'm gonna have to forget all by myself I'll be Tonight, but if you never ever ring my bell, I'll be alright all by myself, all by myself. No, I'm doing fine, waiting for you's like doing time. But if your love won't ever make me well, I'll be just fine all by myself. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was awesome. I got funky. Oh, yeah, we <laughs> got a little funky here. It's Bushwick, baby. Come on. <laughs> Bushwick, known for the funk. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's usually the garbage on the side of the road. Anyway, uh, that was great. Uh, I want to talk. You said this one came quickly. Really quickly, is, yeah. Generally, is that how you write from inspiration like that? Or do you, what is your process? I heard this song, uh, a song we probably all knew or grew up with called Just One Look by Doris Troy. Mm -hmm. And I loved, like... Uh, 
I listened to it for the first time, like listen, listen. I'm like, wow, that drummer is just using brushes, but it sounds big. And it's this simple kind of rock steady, almost Latin islandy thing. And I just had that groove in my mind. I'm like, oh, it'd just be cool to. I sat down on the piano and and four chords. That was kind of the starting place, just four chords. And then the descending melody with those ascending chords kind of as this counterpart came three minutes and then the words came 10 minutes later and then in a half, a half hour later, the song's done A and B section. And like the schizophrenic thing was like, uh, it'd be cool to go, what, what happens? On my myself. What if you just change the key in the middle of the song? The verse attacks a bit more. It has this kind of, like you said, funky, like Memphis-y thing where... You know, almost like Wilson Pickety kind of bridge mm-hmm. yeah. to it. And then it comes back. And I thought that'd be a cool way to expand on the idea of Doris Troy's Just One Look by adding this little bridge thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think melody for me, process-wise, always comes first or groove comes first. And the lyrics are secondary. But you're talking about Keith Richards earlier because I think they do a similar, like they have kind of nonsensical, garbly, sl- syllable placeholder lyrics yeah and then you're like make try to make sense of them mm-hmm. and attach words to the where it was maybe what sounds good over the melody you know mm-hmm. and that becomes what it is you know yeah you gotta you gotta pay attention to how i i think a lot of it just comes from you're you naturally use the vowel noises or like the the you know the the shape of the words right uh naturally that are supposed to go over top of it and i think it's good not to like fight that yeah whatever comes first usually is the yeah the correct thing like if i'm if i start just naturally singing the same thing over and over when i'm writing something i try to stick with that i try not to like touch that you know even if i'm not sure what it is what that means i'm just like well that's what it's supposed to be there Right. That's what all of grunge rock was. It was yeah. like Eddie Vedder just going, rrr, 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 <laughs> yeah. like, there were no words in that. I mean, there, there probably were. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? There's no way to find out either. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a little bit of cannoli in that. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was regular cannoli, not chocolate. Uh, but let's talk a little bit uh, more in depth about process. So you have, mm-hmm. now you have melody, you have lyric. Then uh, where do you take this from there? A song like this. Is this one, have you put it out? Yes. on an album yeah it was out as a single and it became really the first single to launch my let's call it solo project as it is and it kind of was the 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 gate opener really just the door opener for the project and uh do you get together with the band and yeah the stu- just studio musicians or do you have your own band yes uh both really um so on this recording uh which we put down to two track tape a quarter inch <laughs> two track tape uh um, kind of submixed a lot. Certainly, all the drums are submixed to tape. But I went in the studio with a great drummer named Brian Cantor um, in Brooklyn. We had a little space in Dumbo at the time, and uh, in the basement of this factory in Dumbo. <laughs> Talk always trying to get back to Grandma's basement. <laughs> where are their mothballs? Where the mothballs? <laughs> That's where the inspiration happens. But I think the basic track of this was really just him and I. So I was at the keys, DI, just like this. Mm-hmm. Drums are live in the room. We're all hitting the tape, um, and that was it. And then we kind of layered bass and guitar over it, and I filled in some of the production stuff with horns, and we had background singers. So there's more of a call and response thing where 
here I'm just singing it, you know, as I am. We had like uh, ladies uh, singing one bit and me kind of responding and vice versa. Did you get your vocals um, on the first track or do you do scratch vocals? And I did a go scratch. Back? I did a scratch for him uh, in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you do listen to the drum track, if it's ever separated, which in the in the <laughs> annals and the annals of, of history it'll <laughs> never happen like, right. no ever, but if you did listen to the stems of the drum you'll you hear me hear singing your... hear the piano kind of clicking in the background the whirly clicking and uh yeah I, th I think process like that depends uh most of the time i'm trying to get for recording everyone in the same room at least the whole rhythm section in the same room and lay it down mm -hmm. and then do overdubs as they are but i'd like the feeling of records from the that time period like the just one look time period, like the late fifties, early sixties of like everyone's in the room. I know. The arrangements already kind of plotted out and at least get the rhythm section. We could add horns later, we could add other stuff later. Right. So that's that's what I'm always going for. And I think every recording since that recording has that I've put out at least has been the rhythm section in the room at the same time. So that's what we're trying to do. Um and the funny thing, I'll just say quickly about that song. Uh, we were talking about lyrics and you're like just go with the lyrics the song is upbeat but it's a song kind of about loneliness in a way mm -hmm. yeah it's an optimistic look at loneliness like maybe she will arrive maybe she will come here um for this date she'll show up but it is a it's i could have kind of played into the upbeat thing and made it a little more hopeful but the song is a little kind of to me, it's called All By Myself, and it's this <laughs> upbeat kind of thing. So I love that, like, I went with the lyrics, as to your point. I just kind of let them take me. And I like that, like, that that thing where the lyrics are a little more down, but the song, the, the music's a bit more upbeat, so it has this cool contrast thing mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, then, it's. I mean, it's tough to, like, listen to music where the, a lot of music where the music itself and the lyrics are both upbeat or extremely depressed right you know you kind of have to have a little something to cut it either way to cut it yeah uh otherwise it just doesn't seem you know it loses i don't know yeah. emotional richness i don't know that, yeah. then it's know. like walking on sunshine or something yeah like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, all right well maybe maybe <laughs> if it was like i'm hoping for sunshine yeah that could be kind of cool you know, yeah i wish it was sunny but the walking on you know it's like it's just too much like how often so, do you really feel that right like <laughs> a couple times in your life maybe you know no offense <laughs> to katrina and the waves by yeah. the way i mean they, they they walked on sunshine all the way to the bank but but yes, uh, I like I like cutting it with something. Yeah, you know, I like a little acid in there. Yeah, it's like a nice garnish on a on a dish. You know, it's like yeah, you need the acid. You thing, need that you little know? lemon lemon the lemon spritz. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, you know? cut it, cut it. But plus, yeah. in addition, you have the B section that is you know different than the A section. So you're you're dealing with a lot of um, juxtaposition in the song. Yeah, it is it is kind of a schizophrenic song in a way. And that's why I think I really like I respond to it more as a musician than something that's just a, a full thought. It has these two sides, you know, which I which I really find interesting. So you have like so. something to look forward to while you're playing. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh another B section's coming. Woohoo. Yeah. Let's get through this A section, please. Yeah. <laughs> please. <laughs> Hurry up now. So what do you think is your worst song? Oh man. <laughs> well, I, I wanna <laughs> I think we have so many missteps, right? When, like you're always in the on a route to somewhere as a songwriter, as a performer. Mm -hmm. So maybe in three years we're gonna look back at this podcast and be like, oh, you know, that song all by myself. That's actually my worst, worst. song. <laughs> but uh, as it stands now, I think I'm gonna go back to like those high school, early college years, and pull out something that. Um, oh man. So, uh, well, let's. I'll, I'll just <laughs> preface this with it. 
Okay. I, I was in I was in this nominally it was a reggae band. Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, the the a punk- nominally reggae. We broke into reggae a lot, and uh, which is great, except I'm not Jamaican certainly. Um, and there's that whole appropriation thing, but we mixed it with punk, you know, and it's kind of like police ish. Or you know the mm-hmm. Clash or what they were doing, so we were referencing that time period, the new wave. Is thing. this out on Long Island? This was out on Long Island. So you're playing like out on the beach and stuff playing like that. The beach, playing the bars, playing every. I joke, I've played every clam shack and dive bar from Montauk to you know to Brooklyn, which is a lot <laughs> that, of truth. That is that. that is good copy. <laughs> that, is, I know. that is like that's some good. You <laughs> Put it you on your one. Yeah, I gotta put, write it down. <laughs> I don't know if it's something I'm proud of. Or, uh, but yeah, I think in that time period. Period, you know, we were playing all the, the waterfront bars and like it made me as a musician and I'm not decrying it, but I wrote some really <laughs> s- songs that I really kind of look back on. I'm like, oh, really? Did I need to? So there was this one. I was, uh, it's called Witch Doctor. (laughs) 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 And, you know, I I thought about it on the way here because I haven't played it in, I didn't even sit down and kind of rehearse it. Uh, I haven't played it since maybe 2004 or three. So, yeah, it would have been 20. It was the last time I, I played it. I wrote it around that time. And it's just kind of a novelty song that blended this, like, stingy, a kind of melodic thing over the ska chorus. I don't even know if I could replicate it, but I'll give you, I'll give you the Let's, feeling of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Let's break it down. It had this prog intro that kind of went like this uh, with a lead guitar. And then it's like, the sun comes up. I'm on my way home Trying to get through to you On the payphone And then the guitars went But no worries <laughs> You're only sleeping And I'm so tired from the hours I've been keeping um, Walking through my house Through the kitchen door what is that thumping sound coming from the bedroom door? Uh, I forget where it goes after that, but let's get to the chorus. Uh, I go to the witch doctor, and this is what she said. Uh, I go to the witch doctor, and I bear the witch doctor, and and then the witch doctor, he came and shrank my head. <laughs> I mean, that's the point of the song. That's the tag. Oh, so. man. Well, thanks, thanks for digging deep. I think, the... I think I'm asking for all audience members, what was the thumping at the door? Yeah. Was it the witch I doctor? I don't get it. Was it... I think the point of the song was he, he, he realizes that his significant other is cheating on him. Mm-hmm. So the thumping sound from the bedroom. Coitus. It's mm. a little bit of that shaggy, it wasn't me Ooh. kind of thing. Layers. And then the witch doctor takes his revenge ultimately on the two lovers and then and then eventually the narrator of the song 
So he's an unreliable, oh, okay. shrunken head narrator. <laughs> this so. is like a ska opera. Ska opera? Ska opera. Yes, that's right. that's right. Were you the main uh, songwriter in the band, or was this like a big... I think it was. Yeah, I think it contributed. started with my songs and then uh, the other guys who were, who were great. And uh, I think they're all still playing music and doing wonderfully. They would uh, they would eventually kind of have their say with the writing and stuff, and it became more of a band thing. Mm -hmm. But I think at that time it started with me bringing these silly songs and... The guys are probably like, what is he bringing in now? <laughs> I mean, it's got kind of a Billy Joel vibe, which yeah. I guess you kind of have to do if you're playing every clam shack from <laughs> that's Montauk a, to, that's right. to Brooklyn. <laughs> that sounds just like a Billy Joel song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's funny because I, I, I was with some friends last night and we were, we were, I was tuning my friend's piano actually because I'll tune pianos also in my spare time just for fun, really. Uh, but we, Wait, said, <laughs> really? Yeah, uh, I was tuning a piano just for a friend. We were hanging out having wine, and she has this heirloom piano in her family. And uh, we were sitting there, and, I'm, and Billy Joel always just, he's ever present, you know, he's just inescapable, unavoidable. You sit at a piano, and someone's like, do a little bit. So mm -hmm. we, I was playing these Billy Joel songs last night and they felt really good. Cause I, like I grew up on Long Island. I like, he's, I, I can't avoid this guy's music. Yeah. yeah. And as a piano player, he's got some great stuff, yeah. but, but we were just sitting there like hitting all the B sides, like hitting all the weird r stuff. And I realized when I woke up this morning, I'm like, I felt really good, but I'm, Joel was like, a really, he was like a depressive. He wrote yeah. some really dark stuff. Yeah, in the seventies and early eighties. I mean, Piano Man is one of the most depressing songs that's ever became like a huge hit. Yeah, it's yeah. like really sad. Really yeah. sad. Yeah, yeah. But he got out, which right. is great. Like, it always cracks yeah. me because he al he's always talking in his songs about being a badass. Like I'm right. riding my motorcycle, and you're like, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> one of those. It's that line, and you may be right. I think is uh, I even rode my motorcycle in, in the, the rain. rain. Dangerously. Here's the messed up thing. I think from Long Island local lore, uh, he's not been the best driver, right? Um, he's got some DUIs. He's, has he's got some DUIs. He's crashed into a couple houses, quite literally. But we're, uh, maybe a year or two after that, you may be right song. He got into a really bad motorcycle accident. It was like the early '80s, and he like they basically rehabilitated his like his arm was off or something, something horrible. Really, and he was pent up, and he and he didn't know if he was going to play piano ever again. So there was like a it's like ironic thing, like I even rode my motorcycle in the rain, <laughs> and like two years later, like his, he almost doesn't have his career because of some right. motorcycle accident. Yeah, could have been raining. Who knows? <laughs> Just probably <laughs> was. You know, <laughs> crazy though. I was on the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, this is like last weekend. I was on a run, and I hit the. Bridge Bridge, right as New York State of Mind came on the radio, oh. and goddamn, it was like the perfect moment. And I mean, that song is fucking. I I don't know. I love Billy Joel. Yeah. It just um, he's a kind of easy to lampoon or make fun of. If Definitely you're inclined. Definitely, yeah. Because yeah. he is. He gets a he gets a lot of he gets a lot of shit. I think undeservedly most of it, but but deservedly in the fact that he's always. He always wants to fuck you to the critics, and I think that's why there's been this pushback. He sees himself as something more than he is. To me, he's just like a great songwriter and made some cool records, but he wants to be really taken seriously along the lines of like Dylanique or the Beat mm -hmm. or something like where the critic. But like you're Billy Joel, like you have these amazing string of pop songs. 
Right. Leave it at that. Like you wrote New York State of Mind. Like mm-hmm. even if he just wrote that song, that's enough. Right. Yeah. You don't need anything more than that. Right. Like that song could have made like if Ray Charles had written New York State of Mind, like like it's just like, come on, dude, you're really Joel. It's enough. You don't need any more respect. But right. he's looking for it and I think that's the blowback. I, in in defense of him too, he does have a residency at Madison Square Garden, right, right, which right. is like nobody's ever had that. Whoa. That's pretty fucking badass, you know. It really is. But once a month, without end, until he stops it. Until maybe. he wants to end. That's yeah. fucking crazy. I mean, that's not where I would want to go see him. But right. I, maybe it would be fun because he has such, like there's such sing along songs. It might it might be fun. I've seen shows there where it's just like you're like not even facing the stage, and it just it's not a good place yeah. for for music. I feel not my favorite venue. That and Terminal 5 in New York City, just like, ah, I'm good. I'm good on those two What's your problem with Terminal 5? I think it's the I think it's the soundless version and specifically the the columns like these yeah. structural pillars that are just in the way. In the way. Yeah, unless you're uh, right in the unless front. you're right in the front, right front and center. Yeah, I, I try yeah. to avoid playing those places. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 You, t- you told your agent you're just like no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, not unless there's no other option. <laughs> you prefer like the Beacon? Like you're just like, can we just do the Beacon instead or Radio yeah. City? Like the same amount of people, right? So you can. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I have issues with the, those places as well. Just don't get, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> well, the green room of the Beacon is, uh, I mean, it's terrible, right? You, you, you saw that last time you were there. Like yeah, it, yeah. I'm like, you know, like the, uh, the hors d'oeuvres. I'm like, what is this? Right. Well, <laughs> it's a mushroom. Yeah, yeah wow. it's like mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stuffed mushroom. Wait, I think you got. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I got something very different. They didn't even call them hors d'oeuvres. They called them antipasti when I, oh. when I went. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, life on the road is tough, man. You know, it's uh, a lot, lot you got to put up with. Um, I heard a lot of police in that song too. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, the like when the police were trying to be reggae. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was again. It comes down to like you know you, you're trying to mimic the people that you listen to or like thought were cool and like Sting. Like they wrote some. He wrote some great songs, yeah. right? And like I love like how do, how does his voice do those things? Like amazing. I dream of God. <laughs> Yes. Remember that one? <laughs> I don't know if I consider that among his best. <laughs> oh, I thought I just but, figured that's what you were talking about. Uh, <laughs> I dream of rain, LA, LA. Uh, so yeah, I think you just. I mean, that's the thing. Are are we ever past mimicking? Is it isn't? And that's the thing. It's a little disheartening about music now is that like that blurred line suit. I'm like, well. They were trying to take, I'm not a fan of the song, certainly, but they were trying to take the Marvin thing. They were paying homage to it, but trying to take it in a different place. It's a different melodic song. It's different uh, chordal structure. Like, it's a different song. Like, can two songs have the same groove? And, like, uh, is one going to be, is it plagiarism, you know? I think so, I think one of the, the things that they were talking about in that lawsuit was that they were, like, it's ripping off the essence uh-huh. of which was a, a new strategy in, right. in in that kind of litigation, which is like it is kind of because if you say if you say, oh, a song is ripping off the essence of another song, then no song is safe from right. it, you know, any lawsuit of that nature. But at the same time, when you hear that song come on, you're like, that's that fucking Marvin Gaye song. Right. Yeah. You, like, I do understand where they're kind of coming from with that. Uh, that sort sure. of point because it is you're like that's that Marvin Gaye song right. it just even if the chords and the melody are a little bit different you're like that's it but yeah. see I feel like 
on just like a fundamental level, that is an element of music that is essential to music. It yeah. is what music is. You learn, you take what you what somebody has taught you, you vary it a little bit, and you make your make it your own. That's what music has always been. Not only during recorded music do you have to then say, "Oh, I ha- I deserve money on this," and and that's when it's and it and it it's frustrating to me, especially as like a folky head. It's like that's what you do. You take other people's shit and you you mimic it. You know, I I don't think that we're ever gonna be beyond that. Well, I mean, I think when people you know quote have their own sound it's because uh when they were trying to copy other people when they were trying to copy their influences they did it weird right mm-hmm. right like right. they were trying to copy it but then they did it weird it came or wrong out it come, came out messed yeah. up and it was cool well that's the early that's it. the early beatles thing which yeah. is like there wasn't quite the everly brothers it wasn't quite american r&b and it certainly wasn't elvis in any or chuck berry but it was like its own thing yeah which mm-hmm. and and like that was super cool you know yeah but i mean yeah to your point on that i think well, look at the American Songbook, like um, the Tim Pan Alley writers and the and the sh- and the, sh- the show musical writers of the twenties through the nineteen fifties. Mm-hmm. Every song is a is based on directly on on another. Like there's always an heir apparent. Uh, so like uh, you could follow the line. Like look at Misty or and Tenderly or Misty and My One and Only Love. Like you could fit one melody over the chords of another song at the same tempo with the same groove so many times in the American mm-hmm. songbook. Like that, like that's what great music and I think great songwriting is built on. Um, and eventually you'd want to get to go, you want to go somewhere else with it, right? You want to take it avant. You want to take it to the next place. But if we take that away from music or there's just the right to do that, we're all kind of messed. Right. But we're not all selling as much as Blurred Lines sold. Right. Yeah, exactly. So let's hope we never get to go to court. Right. And if, <laughs> and if somebody's fucking playing one of my songs, I would be yeah. pissed, you yeah, know? Yes, um, exactly. And then they made money off it and I'm sitting here, can't afford beans or whatever. Six dollar. <laughs> <laughs> beans are expensive nowadays. Beans. Or, what do you buy? An organic like... Uh, yeah, very, very posh beans. Heirloom. <laughs> Heirloom beans. Uh, yeah, I buy them in, in Bushwick. That's nice. the only way. I, that's the only place to get my beans. No, <laughs> straight Goya. I'm going Goya. Oh, yeah. Going uh, Goya. yeah, always Goya. But my point is just that it's not a right of me uh, of a musician to do that. It is what music yeah, is, yes, you know. Right. And it's like it. The part of music that has been recorded is a very small portion of a huge lineage of music. And for most of that, you learn it from. I mean, of course, notation, but mm-hmm. most of the time it's learning it from your grandpa and your dad or mom or whatever, yes. you know, yeah. that's how it works. And we don't copyright grooves, certainly. Mm-hmm. And we don't copyright, you know, we, we copyright really music and lyrics of so certainly melody, I think, is the right. thing that. So, yeah, that blurred, blurred lines is a tough one for me. Well, you I, talk- it, but it, I think it's I think it's such an interesting case because then. It's sort of like almost a philosophical mm-hmm. uh, discussion right. on what is a song. Right. Is it the me- melody? Is it the, is, or is it like this other thing that's just like uh, an indivisible th- thing? Uh, you know, that makes a song a song that right. you can't boil down to like you know the the chords or melody or beat or whatever. But uh, yeah, 
these questions and more answered on the next episode of no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paul thanks a lot for coming in and doing this you have a good time I had, I had a blast thanks for having yeah, me yeah thanks really a lot man it. we really appreciate it can you it. plug some of your stuff you got shows coming up I got some shows coming up I'm doing a thing out in out on Long Island through Joe's Pub at the Soundview Inn in, oh, Gr- cool. in Greenport that's in July and that is going to take me back to the piano so just me at the piano that'll be really fun uh, it's kind of like an artist and residency thing that happens out there in Greenport um, and I have some New York City dates coming up in the fall. Uh, you can look at my website, paullauren.com, to learn more. And gents and lady, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real, real pleasure. So, Well, we appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. Honey, if you need someone to lean on I'll be at your side before you blink And if leaning turns to tears I'll hold you till they disappear And dry them with a smile and a wink Mm. Sweetheart, if you ever wake up lonely I'd like to be the only one you think Would be there long before you rise To wipe the sleep from off your eyes And greet you with a smile and a wink But if I should be late I don't expect you waiting long Although I wouldn't be sorry if you found someone new What would I do, honey, if he sets your heart a-pounding You might find me drowning in my drink But when one drink turns to two I'll raise my glass to him and you And do it with a smile and a wink And I'll love you with a smile and a wink